masses are needed Become, become the pulse of the revolution In the ranks of the masses rising Get up, get up, your voices are needed Become, become the pulse of the revolution In the ranks of the masses rising Greetings, everyone. This is A Call to Actions. I'm your host, Bobby Vaughn. Today we're going to continue our investigation into the corruption of nuclear facilities east of the Mississippi River. And like last week, we're going to continue our investigation into the Honeywell Uranium Conversion Plant. It is the largest uranium conversion plant on Earth, and the only one within the United States. We're here today with a former worker. His name is Howard Cook, and we're going to be discussing some of the important details that he was able to witness when he worked out at that plant, and kind of go from there, as there's there's a lot to talk about, so... So let's get it going. Uh, Howard Cook, welcome to A Call to Actions. Thank you, Bobby. All right. Awesome. Well, you, of course, uh, I met you in Paducah, Kentucky at a uh, whistleblower's expose, um, kind of a, a corruption briefing. Uh, but let's just start from the very beginning. Uh, when did you work out at the Honeywell Uranium Conversion Plant? I was hard in in June of 1981. Mm -hmm. I was hard in as an instrument mechanic, uh, which involves taking care of the pneumatic controls in the plant, and which during my stay there, we converted most of those over to electronic controls. Uh, And uh, later, I went over into the production side of it and worked uh, <clears throat> production. And uh, so I worked quite a few different jobs out there during mm-hmm. my stuff. Retired in uh, March 2007. So okay. uh, almost 26 years in out there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's quite a while. 1981 2007. At the time, the plant was uh, was uh, ran by Allied Chemical, right? Yes, when I hired in, it was Allied Chemical, and then uh, they merged with a Sigma, a single uh, Sigma, mm-hmm. and it the name changed to Allied Sigma, uh, Allied Signal. I'm sorry, Allied Signal, and uh, and then probably in the nineties. Uh, changed names to Honeywell so I worked under three different names while I was out there mm-hmm. yeah, one, one trend I've seen amongst these nuclear plants is when these names change the, the evidence or the, the information the documents become a little more tough to, to find because of the name changes but um, that may just be a coincidence, but uh, let's, okay, let's start. Of course, start from the beginning. Um, as you were, you were a, a mechanic on the inside. How much did you work on the inside of the plant during your stay there? Well, um, the, there was different processes inside the plant, but the feed material building was the main area that we worked in, and that's where they converted the uranium over to US six. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, it's uh, probably every day you had uh, some type of uh, problem in the in the feeds and material building that you had to take care of. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I worked in the UF6 uh, building quite a bit during my stay there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, <clears throat> as it, in terms of, of leaks or or, um, or say faulty equipment, were there were there leaks on the, on the inside of those buildings that you were a, ever able to witness? Yes, there. I mean, the, for a lot of people that don't know, the uranium looks just like dirt. Mm-hmm. It, I, you know, the big bad wolf doesn't jump out at you. You know, it's yeah. just floating around in the air. You have spills. Uh, you know, if it's coming out of uh, rotary valves or coming out of uh, elevators. You know, and there there be piles of uh, uranium in different locations. And of course, it was our responsibility. You know, uh, during the shift to go through and, and vacuum it up and but all of these lakes were were never fixed they just you know we continued to clean them up and uh, mm-hmm. and you could always you could always see particles floating around in the in the air when you was in the building with the sunlight coming through mm-hmm. and uh, you, you know you, you had dust collectors that you know, they vented to the outside. If there was a bag that went bad, then you would have <clears throat> excess amount of uranium going to the outside. Of course, they had detectors on them, supposedly that they could pick up uh, the count and and uh, and get the bags changed or whatever. Mm-hmm. There was a certain amount that was allowed to go out to the atmosphere every shift you know as long as you didn't exceed that amount then it wasn't zero do you do you suspect i know this is a case in portsmouth uh where they actually wired around the alarm systems when uh, say when when in the plant you know there are detectors for certain amounts of you know like uh, beta and alpha and uh etc and those detectors, if they detected a certain amount of radiation, would go off. And because these uh, alarm systems would go off, then the entire facility or the uh, section of the, of the facility would have to halt or stop operations. And that became a problem at Portsmouth. So they just wired around the alarm system so the alarms would not go off. Uh, have you I know that's a kind of a technical question and I'm not sure you know because you didn't you didn't work in the electrical department there um, the uh, area control room but do you do you suspect that but they that they could have been either wiring around the alarm system or maybe the alarm system was faulty or or outdated at any point well we didn't have alarm system per se Mm-hmm. Well, it was <clears throat> health physics 
the department would come and take samples every shift and uh, and by those samples because they had a, a vacuum system that would we call them targets and they would pull a vacuum and those targets would collect the airborne uh, contamination mm-hmm. and they take targets and they go analyze them and if they showed up in excess then they would call down to the plant and tell them you know the first floor fifth floor whatever floor it was is too high you need to turn the lights off mm-hmm. so when you turn the lights on all that meant was that you had to put your respirator on when you went up into that floor to yeah. work yeah so <clears throat> it didn't mean that you had to shut the the system down, you know, you kept running, and, you know, they, of course, the building was hot, and we had exhaust fans, you know, to help control the heat, and, but these uh, exhaust fans would also pick up the, the dust particles of the uranium and take it to the outside. Wow. So, uh, and they had those detectors at the at the bed fan so they knew, you know, how much was going outside, supposedly. And uh, and then they had detectors out on the fence. But um, it seemed to be a, a magical fence that they had out there because whatever situation was going on in the plant, they always come back and said, well, it didn't get past the fence. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and what's happened over over time, and I think this lawsuit that's uh, pending now will show that that they allowed the uranium to concentrate around the facility and contaminate people's properties and homes. Yeah. And uh, you know, where it was detected and not reported. Uh, or it was just uh, malfunction, whatever the reason, now these people's homes are contaminated. And, uh, yeah. and you know, that shouldn't happen. It, it should have been contained within the facility. And But I guess when the plant was built in 59, uh, they assumed that that was enough precaution to take is to just have the monitors to to monitor how much radiation was escaping the plant. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say in any any bit of uranium going to the outside and into people's homes is too much uranium. And even for for you workers, of course, um, you guys, I, I assume, before you began work, were given a briefing or some type of training of course on on what was going on inside of the plant are there any anything uh are there any points that they did not bring up during the training that you think that they should have brought up to you guys well uh, what we were told when we was hard in was that uh all that we processed was natural uranium, mm-hmm. and uh, which natural uranium 
and it's mostly alpha. Mm-hmm. You have a, some beta and a very little gamma. And uh, so, you know, they always said that, you know, the time you spent around it, the distance that you uh, from it would all limit your exposure, which I think is true. Um, but um, mm-hmm. it's uh, in later years we found out that that we had we was dealing with more than just natural uranium, and uh, <clears throat> and there was no precautions um, issued from the the plan on how to protect yourself from. Uh, uh, plutonium and the other dollar products. Uh, we had uh, one case. I was on the union committee, and we had some green salt. Mm-hmm. Now, green salt is UF four. It, it's part of the process where you, uh, where you're converting it over to UF six. Uranium tetrafluoride, correct? Yeah. 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 And. Uh, <clears throat> We got some of this from the weapons plant in Ohio somewhere. I forget. Fernald. Uh, Fernald. Yeah. And uh, and you know, supposedly they gave it to us, which you know meant that was a lot of expense that we didn't have to go through to produce green salt. Mm-hmm. And we and it, they kept in little bitty thirty gallon containers and we were dumping it into the system uh, each ship was supposed to dump uh, you know 15 20 those little drums per night and uh, somehow it, it leaked from the the people in the lab that uh, say they asked somebody said do you know that this has got traces of plutonium in it mm-hmm. and then when the union found out about it, you know, we questioned the company about it. And they said, well, yeah, but it's all below the, the limits, you know, that the NRC mm-hmm. uh, has us under. And, but they went back and, and went through all the, <clears throat> the data. And I think there was uh, probably... 25, 30 drums that was over that limit. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> they set those off to the side and, and put tape around it, which that's supposed to protect you, but you know, right. warning tapes where you shouldn't go around it. And, uh, <clears throat> and that never was done. But shortly after that, they stopped dumping it all. And, uh, I didn't know at the time, but they was actually, they had uh, a lot of it. I don't know how much it was stored over in Paducah. And I'm sure that the building they stored it in wasn't licensed to uh, to store radioactive material, but it, <clears throat> it was stored over there. And uh, But anyway, getting back to when we had the meeting, mm-hmm. One of my questions was, uh, are 
are you monitoring us, you know, for uh, exposure to plutonium? And I said, no, we can't do that. The only way you can do that is with a stool uh, sample. Yeah. It has to be sent to uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And I said, well, if I have to whoop, in a in a container, then that's what I'll do. Yeah. And, you know, they, they did, had no response to that. But we never was sampled to see if anyone was uh, exposed to plutonium. And plutonium uh, is, is a big problem, especially with plants that that reprocess uh, spent nuclear fuel rods. And for Nald, yeah, that, that's where Metropolis, the Metropolis uranium conversion plant, received that green salt from. Was was from Fernald, and Fernald is known for reprocessing depleted or spent nuclear fuel rods that you know in the in power plants are bombarded with neutrons and those neutrons cause uranium rods to produce plutonium in, in, in simple words plutonium uh, neptunium uh, fission products even um, technetium 99 and then they're sent over to Fernald for reprocessing, downblending, you know, conversion kind of stuff like like that. And is separated. The, the uranium and the plutonium is supposed to be separated. And then the plutonium is either reused by another plant, um, or the uh, sorry, and the uranium, plutonium and uranium are both reused by plants that can legally process those materials. And the uranium side of that. <clears throat> you know, Honeywell got the the bright idea to say, yeah, yeah, just just bring your your uh, your UF four or green salt uh, uranium tetrafluoride over here, and um, you know we're the world's largest uranium conversion plant, and we'll convert it to you know, uranium hexafluoride, and you know send it along to our our big brothers and big sisters. Um, yeah, th those. Documents uh, are available. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you've seen them or not, but that, that's that is troubling. Uh, with plutonium itself, as compared to uranium, but plutonium, say plutonium two thirty eight, it is an extremely heavy, heavy metal. Um, of course, when it's uh, when it's used in processing, it's ground down into either chips or to a powder, and then melted down to a liquid and transformed into a gas or you know however however the people want it, however the vendors that they're working with want it. And it could be ground down to a dust, like say a fine powder, and one single particle of that powder of plutonium one one millionth of a gram which is one microgram when inhaled or ingested somehow is enough to be fatal to a human being so how did the NRC deem it safe that the uranium conversion plant in Metropolis it was okay for the plant to even process plutonium I mean, at first, they had to get a, I'm pretty sure, a license to even have it there. 
and then they went through the NRC processes that, yeah, it's okay, it's okay, if, if only it's minuscule amounts, right? But let me tell you, far much less than minuscule amounts is enough to kill people. But these plants aren't worried about the health and safety of the community or the environment. They're concerned about making money, I mean, because they're owned by the world's largest companies. But how did it make you feel when the plant went against workers' um, concerns and actually went through with the processing of this plutonium-contaminated UF-4? Well, the union was never satisfied with their answers. And uh, yeah. our president, actually, he has a list. He's retired now, but he still has a list of those samples that they've done of, of the green salt that comes from phenol. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, <clears throat> all of them had, you know, trace amounts of it, but there were some of them that was over the limit that we were allowed to process. Yeah, wow. Now, that, that comes back to a question that if we're only processing natural uranium, then why do we have a limit on how much radiation we can process? You know, that that shouldn't be a question, you know. Yeah, well, I I think it's safe to say that, you know, in their their scientific uh, world that they live in, uh, the scientific world they live in is is lined with manipulation and deception and deceptive words and phrases and natural uranium is one of those phrases um according according to nrc department of energy natural uranium is uranium that even if reprocessed and down blended only only contains trace amounts that they deem necessary of plutonium and fission products, but such a high concentration of the original uranium-234, uranium-235, and uranium-238, even if it's reprocessed. So the words that they're using is complete manipulation, and if they don't tell the workers that that that's the case, then we got a big problem, because it's not natural. It was reprocessed out of Fernald. and I'm sure a lot of workers were exposed to it. And you said there was, you could see dust in the in the air on the inside of the buildings, right? Yes. And, you know, it, it's, <clears throat> I remember we had a manager of health physics. And when we'd had safety meetings, uh, you know, he'd always give a presentation and, mm-hmm. and you know, He'd say, you know, as long as you don't disturb it, you know, it'll be fine. Just leave it. Don't disturb it, you know. And uh, and we had an electrician. He was working up in the pipe rack, which was up probably 20 feet up into the air. Mm-hmm. And which those conduits and pipes up there, they never did get cleaned. You know, you only cleaned what you reached from floor level yeah so <clears throat> he seen the the manager come by and he probably shouldn't have done it 
and uh, and he came by and he knocked some of that off. And of course, the manager just had a fit. He said, "Oh, it won't hurt you." Wow. <laughs> but he he wasn't very happy with it, which I said, you know, you probably shouldn't do. But you get tired of hearing, well, you know, it won't hurt you as long as you you know leave it be and don't. Uh, disrupted, but how can you work around something and not disturb it? You know, True. you're always going to disturb it. Right. Well, it's either going to be disturbed during work processes, or it's going to be disturbed when the the plant gets completely shut down and goes through the process of D and D and being broken apart piece by piece. You see. Well, I mean, you you naturally have air current that is going to disrupt it and. You know, that's what you're seeing yeah. in there when, you know, you look up to sunlight and you see these dust particles, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just a natural thing that's going to happen. It's, it's the air current that's going to pick it up and put it back out into the air. Yeah, and there's there were exhaust fans that uh, took air from the inside of the process buildings and pushed the air out through probably pretty powerful exhaust fans out into the... Uh, outside environment, right? That- it never was a closed system or that, you know, all the contamination stayed inside the building. It was always the windows and it was open and, you know, when it got, and it was hot in there most of the time because you had furnaces that, you know, I know in, in the basement to crack the pneumonia so we could get hydrogen, you know, it had to, uh, I forget what the temperature was, but uh, it was a very hot furnace. Mm-hmm. So all, you know, accumulated in that building, and so they always had the windows open and the vent fans on, you know, to try to keep it as bearable to work in it as you could. And, uh, let me go back to, uh, yeah. you asked me what the NRC uh thought about the plutonium. Yeah, whatever you think's important, feel free. Well, I forget what year it was. It was probably 2010, mm-hmm. or around in there. They had a meeting in town at the uh, community center, and you may have been there, I'm not sure, but <clears throat> they was uh, in the process of renewing their license. And, of course, they asked for uh, input from the uh, community mm-hmm. and uh, and I asked the question how was Honeywell protecting the workers from the plutonium and NRC told me there's no plutonium out there hmm. they're not licensed to handle plutonium hmm. that's when I proceeded to tell them about the green salt from Fernald yes or they knew about it or not, but they act like they didn't didn't know anything about it. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, go on. This is a good story. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, they said, "Well, you know, they, they tried to shut me down. You come up after the meeting, and we'll take your information, and we'll get uh, <laughs> right. We'll get and and get back with you." Well, then I see they and Honeywell have a strange way of uh, investigating hmm. stuff on in the plant. Uh, How's that? In, as they let Honeywell do their own investigation and come up with the res- results 
and what they're going to do to to solve the problem. Hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, I hope if I ever get in that trouble that the court system let me do my own investigation, but they probably won't. <laughs> but anyway, that's their own investigation, and, and they came up with it, you know, there was none of this that was over the limit, you know, the NRC. Uh, allowed the plant to, to process. Yep. Uh, yeah. And they went back and 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 they they sampled all the drums that they had, and they had none that was over the limit. Hmm. Now that strange that back in in the nineties that we had all these drums that was over the limit, but now we had none. So. Yeah, that's what happens when you're allowed to do your own investigation. Yeah, I've seen that that same mode of operation over at Portsmouth too. More than likely, it's happening at Paducah. If it's happening in Metropolis as well, it's probably happening across the board. But um, isn't isn't that isn't that funny? Uh, a company <laughs> gets caught doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And the company that runs the plant investigates their self. Yes. That's like asking that's like asking a grown rich man to tell his wife that he's been cheating on her behind his back for thirty years. <laughs> you know? <laughs> investigating oneself. How would they that's that's not right. There should be an independent party that's selected democratically by either the workers or the people. Yeah. <clears throat> and you think that that's what the NRC would be, would be designed to do. Yeah. Is investigate complaints. Mm-hmm. They, they allow Honeywell to do the investigation and then submit it to them and then they say, well, this is okay what you're going to do or you got to do more than this you know but they don't do their own investigation at least they did at Honeywell mm-hmm. hmm. so let's kind of shift gears here for a minute we got we can go up to about 20 more minutes if you want um, depending on uh, some things but let's uh, the Ru- Russian cylinders Russian uranium has been kind of a, a hot topic here in the US for the about the past four four years I believe and you know through records that have been excavated the Honeywell Metropolis uranium conversion plant did receive shipments and process Russian uranium is that correct? Well, not according to the NRC. Huh, really? Here we go again. I filed another complaint because, uh, and this this concerns you because you found uh, documents that showed that uh, Converdine was Converdine. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> company that's, that's owned by Honeywell and United Technology, I think, is the two. But they do the brokering of the UF6 for Honeywell. 
But then RC had issued them a license to transport plutonium. And in the license, it, it mentioned that the trucks would be taking it to Honeywell. Yep. Well, I brought this up to the NRC. Well, they, there again, they said, no, they're not licensed for plutonium. And I said, well, right here in the license, well, we're not aware of that. So they wanted to see it, and I took it up to them. And, and so there again, they done their own investigation. Well, uh, NRC went out to the plant, sampled some of this Russian uranium. They couldn't find any. There wasn't any Russian uranium out there. Interesting. And I talked to a guy a few, probably a couple of weeks after that. I'd seen him and I asked him, I said, because he, he was still working out there and they were working in the sampling plant and that's where when the, the ore comes in, they sample it to be sure it has the, <clears throat> the type of ore that they say that's in it and the concentration that they say that's, that's in the uranium. Mm-hmm. So the first place it goes is there. So they see every ground that, that goes into that plant. And I asked him, I said, don't you have any Russian ore out there anymore on the pad? He said, we got tons of it out there. Hmm. But they couldn't, and RC couldn't find it. And then they come back with some kind of bullshit story yeah. that uh, uranium over time uh, could turn into plutonium. And uh, hmm. mm-hmm. they was trying to open a, a door there that you know, well, maybe this plutonium is, is coming, you know, naturally for the decaying of the uranium. Well, I know, you know, from our safety meetings, that it takes about 2,500 years for the uranium to decay and turn into lead. So, <clears throat> you know, that plant hadn't been there that long. So I don't no. think we've had uranium out there long enough to decay and turn into plutonium. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's one of the answers I got. You know, one answer was they didn't have any Russian uranium out there, and the, and the other one was that you know it could be the plutonium could be naturally concurring from the decay of the uranium out there. So <clears throat> it uh, that was another case where the NRC didn't follow through uh, with their investigation. They had all the information there. They had a copy of, of the license that they had issued, Converdine, and they knew exactly what what that meant. That was for the Russian down branded uh, ore was coming into the United States and going to Honeywell. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> it's common knowledge that they call it Uranium One. Yeah, that's what heard it called. Has come into the United States. Now, if we're the only conversion plant, mm-hmm. where else is it going to? We're the only one that can convert it. Mm. So mm. it's not the Honeywell. It's a lie. It has to go to Honeywell to be converted. Oh, that's interesting. Um, 
That's that's something that's been kept secret, though. Um, it, it's um, it's been tough to actually find any evidence of that. There's been a little bit, of course, um, but uh, let's say most people don't even know that the the Metropolis Honeywell uranium conversion plant even exists. First of all, yeah. Um, sure. Although it is the the world's largest uranium hexafluoride conversion facility and the only one in the U.S. So for it to actually reach the enrichment plants in Paducah and Portsmouth, any material that comes through, unless it's already in a form that those plants can, can process, has to go to Honeywell. Yes. Interesting. It is interesting. Uh I don't want to say too much, but uh, I have seen some some photos and some video of of the cylinder yards. Um, there are there's a large cylinder yard of gray cylinders, which appear to be about twice as large and twice as thick as the black drums. Uh, what is what's the difference between those if you know if you don't know then I under, I understand I understand because well the the cylinders let's go back to the cylinders okay Honeywell has fourteen ton cylinders and they're thicker and larger uh, than the than the cylinders we got from USAC USAC had. 10 ton cylinders mm -hmm. and they're thinner and smaller cylinders of course you know <clears throat> mm -hmm. you know four times they would have to be bigger uh, but uh, the 14 ton just has to be bigger and thicker and uh, and that's what we shipped to Russia yeah now, I see so about 90% of our US 6 was going to Russia when I retired out there. Oh, yeah. We would have to put these uh, fiberglass blankets on them to, uh, it's supposed to make them fire resistant, but anyway, they had to be covered with these blankets before they could put be put on barges. And in Paducah, they put them on the barges, and then they would ship them down probably to New Orleans, but to, to any port, and then they'd be loaded on cargo ships and then shipped to Russia. And then, yeah. uh, but that, uh, this all started back in the late 80s uh, when uh, old man Bush was president, and they signed the contract with the, the Russians to downblend certain amount of our weapons. Yeah. The United was going to do it and Russia was going to do it. <clears throat> so, Russia was had a problem because they, they couldn't sell their US-6 on the market because it was too dirty. Yeah. Uh, it, they couldn't get the contaminants out. Our process is 99.97% pure. Yeah. So, you know, if they have 80% and 99, you know, they're going to buy the, the more pure stuff because then they don't have to deal with the residue of, of uh, the contamination. 
in their process. Mm-hmm. So, and we knew that that they were going to flood the market with UF six. Well, that's going was going to hurt our our business. <clears throat> so, our government come up with a plan that uh, we would convert the Russian uranium over to US six and ship it back over there so they could sell it on the open market. And they were supposed to in turn not flood the market with UF six. They were supposed to, you know, just sell a little bit at a time. And that started in I think eighty nine. And so at that point we were told that we was getting natural uranium from Russia to convert, just like we get natural uranium from China, from South Africa, yeah. Canada, you know, all over the world. Yeah. So you know that that wasn't a big deal, and that was going to keep us, our keep us, plant running. So you know we were excited that we got this extra work. But what we didn't know was that we was getting the contamination of, of the weapons back in that uh, ore that we were converting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's just like they tell you part of the story, but then they don't tell you the whole story. Yeah, yeah. So the stuff, so Russia was shipping you material, uh, so shipping Honeywell in Metropolis, Illinois, uranium that was downblended from nuclear bombs uh, for you guys to process to make it pure enough to where they can sell it back to the U.S.? Yeah, back to, well, I mean, even European Union, mm-hmm. their power plants, anybody that has a power plant, you know, would uh, could buy this and then they would have it made into fuel rods to uh, power their power plants. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's on an open market where, you know, they they buy from this one, that one, you know, here, probably for the cheapest price mm-hmm. so that they can make their fuel rods with, uh, which is, you know, it makes sense. But the thing of it is that we didn't know, the workers, we didn't know that it was contaminated with plutonium and these other products. But once it goes through your system, it goes right on out into that cylinder, and then wherever we send that cylinder to, it's going to contaminate their process. Yeah. So you say, uh, over in Paducah, you know, Portsmouth, wherever, or UF6 went to, Canada, you know, China, wherever, <clears throat> because once we put that Let me draw back just a little bit. Okay. All these ores that we have out there, which, uh, like I told you, China, South Africa, Australia, Canada, Mm -hmm. blend them all together to make a blend that runs well in our plant. Mm -hmm. It's hard for us to take uh, just one type of ore and run it through our plant unless it's really good ore. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we take a lot of the, the crappy stuff because we can blend it with the others to make uh, good UF6. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
those people that sent their forward to us, wherever it was China, South Africa, wherever, you know, they're not actually getting their ore back in UF6. They're getting a blend of everything back in UF6. So by us putting that Russian uh, uranium one in the system, all of that stuff now is contaminated with plutonium and, and dollar system. So it has not only gone through our system to Paducah, Portman, it's also over in Europe, China, Australia, any plant that they run that US-6 through, it's going to contaminate it because it's in that US-6. So, <clears throat> you know, it, it's it's much bigger than just the metropolis plant. Yeah. the That deal between US and Russia, yeah, it was initiated by George Bush Sr. back in the, the late 80s and then went over to uh, Bill Clinton in the early 90s, the uh, megatons to megawatts deal. Yes. But that really, if, if one does research on megatons to megawatts, really the only kind of information that's out there is that it was a deal between between USEC as you know Paducah and Portsmouth and Russia. But what I'm hearing here is there is a, a secret little little brother of Paducah and Portsmouth known as Honeywell where the material would be sent over to Converdine, the uranium, would be sent over to Converdine, um, converted, kind of purified, sent back to Russia, and then Russia would send it over to USEC. Uh, as part of the megatons to megawatts, that's what I'm. That's what it's sounding like to me. Well, they would send the uranium over here, mm-hmm. to, uh, and it would be processed into US six. We put it in cylinders, and then we ship it back mm-hmm. to Russia. Yeah. Now in Russia, they were selling it on the open market, so it could come back to USEC or it could come. Uh, it could go to Great Britain, mm-hmm. France. Yeah. You know, whoever has a nuclear power plant for them to make fuel rods out of. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just USAC uh, and Portsmouth that was uh, processing this because they went back at US6 to Russia and they was allowed to do with it whatever they wanted to at that point. You know, they could make weapons grade out of it. We don't know. Hmm. Do you remember any any of the semi uh, trucking companies that actually uh, shipped this stuff over to Metropolis? Did it come from a Paducah transportation company? The trucking company that that stands out to me is is it RSP or something like this? RS something. R- RSB Logistics. Okay. Yeah. All right. They've done most of the, the transportation of it. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's Paducah. They, um, there's a there's a sector over in Paducah, and that explains why um, why a former uh, widow uh, of a truck a trucker you know, worked for RSB back in the day. She, why she was explaining that she would send stuff from Paducah to Metropolis. And go back and forth from, from Metropolis and Paducah sometimes, 
And that was a really highly, highly frequented trucking route. At one point, I know it was the most uh, uranium trafficking going on between two points in the U.S. was between Metropolis and Paducah. And, uh, yeah, to see that once you said RS, I knew instantly that it was RSB because I've seen I've seen some uh, shipment records, uh, you know, records of notifications of upcoming arrival uh, from RSB so yeah so part of me is wondering if if this operation was kind of under the rug or if it was actually licensed by the NRC more than likely it was licensed by the NRC but to not ever like really hear about this and really you know, to control the the dialogue uh, out in the mainstream media, only megatons to megawatts in you know USEC and 10x uh, in Russia. You know, US and Russia's uranium deal is really talked about. It's interesting well, to me. I think when the truth all comes out is that Propolis was kind of second thought because they made this deal. Then the Russians said, "Well, wait a minute. We're getting the short end of the stick here because we we can't sell the UF six that we downblend uh, to uranium, and you know to make UF six. But we're not able to sell it on the open market because you know it's not as pure as, as they want it. Yeah. So then that's when they came back to talk to Honeywell." At that time, it could have been Allied Signal. I think it was Allied Signal at that time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Here we got we got this deal for you that you can't you can't turn down. You know you're gonna have years of work here processing this uranium for the Russians. Yeah. And I don't think it was uh, publicized because uh, our government was right in the middle of it. But our government knew exactly what was going on, and they knew that we were part of the loop. And uh, you know, and that's why we had such a problem with uh, the sick worker program because uh, Honeywell was just under the the cohort status mm-hmm. of the sick worker program. The part part uh, uh, I forget if it's part E or B. One, mm-hmm. uh, if you're a if you're a nuclear worker or DOE uh, facility, I'll put it that way. DOE facility, then you get covered by Part B and Part E, and I think Part E is the one more that they cover uh, chemicals that you would deal with in the process that cause uh, illness. That would be covered under Part E, and uh, Honeywell's not covered under because they say you're not a DOE facility. Well, right. you know, call me a dumb hillbilly, but I can figure it out if you're in this loop to process the uh, Russian uranium, downgraded uranium, into US six. You're working for the Department of Energy. 
Yeah, that was a Department of Energy deal, uh, the megatons and megawatts. It wasn't NRC. It was uh, it was a Department of Energy deal. Uh, the ones re uh, representing the DOE in the U.S. You know, it was USEC, et cetera. So <laughs> even the Fernald stuff would have been Department of Energy. Yeah, and and it covers DOE uh, facilities and contractors. Well, we would be a contractor because they contracted us to to convert it. So, but our politicians, they don't want to touch it. It's, uh, you know, I've had uh, our congressman, which he's retired now, Shimkus, uh, mm -hmm. one of his workers to contact uh, the Department of uh, Energy secretary, which at that time was... Uh, Oh, that guy from Texas. Rick uh, Perry. Rick, what'd you say then? Yeah, was, that was Rick Perry, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks, Owen. <clears throat> and once she contacted him, I think they told her, you put the brakes on this stuff. So she'd come back and told us, we can't help you. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, it's the same across the board. You know, the uh, production and the corporations making the money while the workers get sickened, are not informed exactly what they're working with. And even the people that live in the surrounding area around the plant are being harmed by the intentional radioactive discharging into the air. And just one more time, I know we talked about it a couple of times but gonna have to head off here in just a minute can you say one more time like yes or no if the plant when processing uranium hexafluoride had exhaust fans that would pull air from the inside of the buildings that were contaminated with uranium dust and exhaust that air out into the atmosphere into the surrounding communities well, I'll put it this way. We had six floors in that building mm -hmm. to, to process. And we had a basement, which the basement didn't have any exhaust fans. But the other six floors all had exhaust fans. And they all exhausted to the outside. Thank you. Thank you for that. Whew. My, I appreciate your bravery. Uh, Howard Cook, former worker of the world's largest uranium hexafluoride conversion plant in the small town cut out into the Shawnee National Forest of Metropolis, Illinois. Not too many people have been brave enough to come out and speak about this plant. Most people don't even know it exists, but there are a few that are still alive, still kicking, and still telling the truth and Howard Cook you're one of them and I, I salute you for your bravery and for telling the truth thank you if there's anything else you want to say before we head off feel free well, I just appreciate you having me on your podcast and uh, you know I, I don't feel threatened maybe I'm just too dumb to to know the difference because you know I'm telling the truth if I was lying I might be scared about something but I'm not I'm not lying about it, and, and there's more to talk about, and we may have to have another one of these.
Yeah, sounds good. Just take some notes and uh, just stay in contact. We'll, we'll make another one happen. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Howard Cook, thank you for your service to Truth and Justice. Take care and enjoy the evening. Thank you. All righty. Bye.